Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. When I was researching this week's topic, I found a website with a quote that acts as a pretty perfect epigraph for this episode. It's a quote from Swift's 1733 work on poetry, colon, a rhapsody, and it reads as follows. <clears throat> so geographers and Afric maps with savage pictures fill their gaps, and o'er uninhabitable downs place elephants for want of towns. Now, most people in the Western English-speaking world, I'm guessing, are pretty bad at African geography. I'm betting that if you were to grab the average human being off the street of, say, Los Angeles, or Portland, or Toronto, they could probably successfully identify only a handful of African countries. I'm guessing that the average person, they would probably be able to identify, let's say, Egypt, South Africa, maybe Somalia and Morocco, maybe Libya, maybe Tunisia, possibly Sudan and Nigeria. I'm guessing that those are the only countries that the average person would be able to identify just off the top of their head. It's a continent that, in our discourse and in our educational system, is kind of sadly neglected. However, at least we don't adorn our maps of Africa with non-existent mountain ranges that have fantastical names. But for about a century, that's precisely what cartographers in the Western world did. African maps featured a gigantic mountain range that was not, in fact, there. The mountains of Kong, as they were called, supposedly cut an east-west path approximating the southern border of the Sahara Desert and were about 10 degrees north of the equator. And most European maps of Africa in the 1800s featured this fictitious mountain range that spanned the length of the continent from Guinea all the way to Somalia. Let me repeat that. Maps of Africa used to have a mountain range on them that reached across the entire length of the continent. This wasn't a case of a map having a single lake or a single mountain out of place. It wasn't even a case of mistaking a peninsula for an island, the way that Baja California used to be drawn on old Spanish maps. We're talking about a geographic feature the size of the Rocky Mountains just plunked down onto maps, despite the fact that it didn't exist at all. The myth of the Mountains of Kong started with Mungo Park, who has an amazing name. Nobody is named Mungo anymore. Uh, Mungo Park, he was a Scottish explorer hired by the augustly named Association for Promoting the Discovery of the Interior Parts of Africa, a British organization. By the late 1700s, Europeans had had plenty of contact with Africa, like enslaving them, but most European maps only showed coastlines and, at most, about 30 kilometers or so inland. The interior was yet to be mapped. Starting in 1795, Park and his crew aimed to change that by delving into the interior of West Africa and hopefully finding the source of the Niger River, and maybe visiting Timbuktu if they got a chance. Park spent quite a lot of time in West Africa, and when he came back, published his travel log. His account of his travels made a huge splash when he returned home to Britain. They were something of a sensation in their day, all about Africa, the people he met, interesting animals, geographic features, etc. But what is of interest to us today is a passage that reads as follows. Park said, I gained the summit of a hill, from whence I had an extensive view of the country. Toward the southeast appeared some very distant mountains, which I had formerly seen from an eminence near Marabou, where the people informed me that these mountains were situated in a large and powerful kingdom called Kong, 
the sovereign of which could raise a much greater army than the king of Bambara. Right there in that travel narrative of one of the most celebrated explorers of all time is the seed for an error that would bedevil European maps for another century. Right there is the first ever real mention, kind of, of the mountains of Kong. Kong, by the way, was a name for a city in what's now modern Côte d'Ivoire. Uh, by the time Park had heard of the city, Kong's regional military power uh, was apparently on the wane, but it remained a large local commercial and cultural center in that region of West Africa. Uh, significant, certainly, but by the time Park found it, uh, not exactly a powerful kingdom. But the real credit-slash-blame for the Mountains of Kong, that goes to James Rennell, an English cartographer for the African Association, the same guys who hired Park. Now, James Rennell, not a hack, not an idiot, not a guy who did bad work, and to his credit, he did quite a lot of kind of cool things during his career. He made a pretty accurate map of India, for instance. He also made a map of ancient Egypt as it was described by Herodotus, which is totally cool. And he was probably the most respected cartographer of his day. He also, though, allowed his preconceived notions about geography and ecosystems to affect his end results and his work. And he ended up tainting the field of cartography with bad data for about a century. Rennell had ideas about the source, the course, and the drainage of the Niger River. And in order to make his preconceived notions about how the river worked work, he filled in some gaps on his map with a mountain range, so that his ideas about the course and the drainage of the river would end up being correct. The presence of this range on the map was supposedly drawn from the lattice data provided by Mungo Park, and it validated Rennell's idea about the Niger River's course. Rennell wrote, The discoveries of this gentleman, this gentleman being Mungo Park with an awesome name, give a new face to the physical geography of Western Africa. They prove by the course of the great rivers and from other notices that a belt of mountains which extends from west to east occupies the parallels between 10 and 11 degrees of north latitude. This belt, moreover, other authorities extend some degrees still farther west and south in different branches and apparently of less height. So, with regards to other authorities, Rennell then dug through all of the other sources, all the other narratives he could find, looking at other accounts of African exploration and searched for anything he could to validate his ideas about the mountain range. And he did find things that uh, kind of sort of could be interpreted as references to mountains in the place where the mountains of Kong were supposed to be. Rennell was experiencing what we would now call confirmation bias, and he took all these little scraps of data, put them together, and used it to validate his ideas about the mountains of Kong. Rennell's 1798 maps influenced other maps to follow throughout the 1800s. After all, Rennell, he was a massively respected cartographer. Remember, accurate maps of India, maps of Herodotus's Egypt. This guy really knows where it's at, and everybody else was drawing from his work when they wanted to make their own different maps of Africa. And of course, also, Rennell, he's backed up by Mungo Park. Mungo Park, intrepid explorer, best-selling travel narrative author. He saw this stuff with his own eyes. So of course they're accurate, right? These maps, they were copied, they were distributed, they influenced other works. And popular commercial maps, they sometimes lacked Rennell's restraint. Uh, they started describing this gigantic, mysterious African mountain range with words like 
lofty, snow-capped, and, here's the best, rich in gold. Because mysterious mountains on unknown continents, well, they are basically required to be filled with gold, right? Throughout the 1800s, though, the mountains of Kong became ever so slightly controversial in the world of European cartography, given that other explorers and travelers couldn't seem to find Park and Rennell's supposed range of continent-bisecting mountains. Other folks found foothills and rises and slight increases in elevation and figured, maybe these are the mountains of Kong? Kind of? Possibly? But... Bumping into a gigantic mountain range cutting through Africa, that's not something that anyone else was able to replicate. It wasn't until 1888, almost a hundred years after Mungo Park's expedition, that a Frenchman named Louis-Gustave Bignet finally demonstrated that the supposed mountain range did not, in fact, exist. Bignet, he went to where Mungo Park had been, he looked in the same area, in what is now Côte d'Ivoire, and he declared, on the horizon, not even a ridge of hills. The Kong mountain chain, which stretches across all maps, never existed except in the imaginations of a few poorly informed explorers. Bignet's new data completely debunked the existence of the mountains, and by the middle of the 1890s, the range was essentially erased from maps and atlases. The mountains of Kong were gone. Well, except for that one time in 1995, when they somehow showed up in Good's World Atlas. Other than that, though, the mountains of Kong were gone. And now it's time to address the big elephant in the room. What's especially ironic here is that during the 1800s, Europeans were presuming to own and control a great deal of Africa. And by the end of the century, everything on the continent, excepting Ethiopia, then called Abyssinia, and Liberia, would be controlled by colonial powers. The extraction of resources and people from Africa by Europeans defined a relationship between the two regions for much of the 1800s and into the 1900s. Park, Bignet, and other explorers weren't just going to Africa to satisfy their own curiosity. They were motivated by commercial and expansionist interest, which would have, ultimately, ugly and often horrific consequences. However, as the mountains of Kong demonstrate, these colonial powers of Europe which were presuming to own and control Africa, they were trying to own and control something that they did not understand, comprehend, or truly know. If Europeans were making errors about Rocky Mountain-sized mountain ranges, doubtless that they were also making errors about people, about culture, about administration, about religion, about language, about human rights, and about everything else. But that's just me conjecturing. Toward the end of the 1800s, European flags would dot the map of Africa. But, arguably, that version of the African map, that version of the map which shows not independent countries, but occupied territories, that is hardly progress when compared with Jonathan Swift's decorative elephants, or even the mythical and erroneous mountains of Kong. I want to give a shout-out to a source today. Um, normally when I research these episodes, uh, obviously I go on Google, because of course I do, but another big resource that I've been using is JSTOR, which is a storage of academic papers about basically everything. And thus far, when I've gone on JSTOR and looked for uh, academic publications about topics like Manchukuo or like Olmecs, 
uh, I've been able to find plenty of things that were wonderfully helpful. Uh, today, though, for this episode, though, I really was only able to find one academic article uh, about the Mountains of Kong. It's called From the Best Authorities, The Mountains of Kong in Cartography of West Africa by Thomas J. Bassett and Philip W. Porter. It's from the Journal of African History, Volume 32, Number 3, 1991. So, a while ago. But it was the only article that I was able to find about this topic in an academic journal. And so I want to say Thomas J. Bassett and Philip W. Porter, if you are somehow listening, thank you very much. Loved your article. I wish that I had another academic source besides you guys, but it was great. If any of you folks wanted to ever ask me a question about a thing, there is a question box at interestingtimespodcast.com. Uh, go ahead, ask me about episodes, ask me about citations, ask me anything you want, and I will send you an answer. Um, follow me on Twitter, at Joe Streckert, and we are on iTunes. Search for us in the iTunes store, give us a rating, give us a review. That helps other people discover the show, and I will see you guys next week. Thanks. <laughs>